John chapter 3, verse 16, I'm going to do something similar to what I did this morning. I believe that I preached this here about four years ago, I think. But as I was considering what to do tonight, praying about it, um, felt compelled to to bring this again because it was such an encouragement to me, and I hope it will be to you. John chapter three, verse sixteen, and then also John one eighteen. Uh, we could look the verses. What I'm going to look at tonight basically is, is the same thought. For God so loved the world that gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So tonight I want to think about this only begotten Son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you, Father, that we have a system, a belief system that is distinctly different than any other religion or belief system in the world that's unique because of the person upon whom it's based. So, Lord, just help us tonight. Help us to rejoice and be firmly established in this truth and realize that what we have is unique. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The phrase or term only begotten, you know, begotten means to procreate. That's the idea. But when it says only begotten, in these two passages, in, in actually six places in the Bible, the, the phrase, the term is used. It means single of its kind. Single of its kind, or solitary in type. Uh, I'm told that the French Bible, maybe Andrew might be able to attest to this, that uh, I was told by a Frenchman that it translates that word unique. Unique. Unique means existing as the only one, having no equal. Unparalleled. And, and what we have in Christ is unique. It's unparalleled. It's single of its kind. It's solitary in type. He is one of a kind. And our faith or our belief system is one of a kind. As we're going to see um, tonight, it's unique in, in a lot of different aspects. I want to notice several things. First of all, you know, Christ is unique in his birth. Uh, of course, he was, he was prophesied 700 years before. Isaiah 7, verse 14, tells us that a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. Now, this was prophesied 700 years before. But a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. Isaiah 9, 6. Not sure what we got going on out there. Jackhammer. Jackhammer. Um, but, 
you know, so, so, you know, it's kind of unique, and we never had that happen before either. <clears throat> uh, but, uh, not that jackhammer's unique, but, you know, we've never had one during service here. But, but, you know, what we have in Christ is, you know, as I mentioned this morning, the, the child was born, the son is given. In, in theology, in the, in the doctrine of Christ, they call it the hypostatic union, it's, and it's one of a kind. God became a man. You know, 1 Timothy 3.16 says, God was manifest in the flesh. And it starts out by saying, great is the mystery of godliness. The word great there is the word mega. You know, we talk about mega bucks, mega millions, you know, the lottery or or uh, mega data, or whatever, you know, it's talking about many, or great. And so great, or mega, is the mystery of godliness. It's, it's something we really can't explain, that God became a man and dwelt among us. So he's unique in his birth. Uh, he's also unique in his life. Uh, you know, as a young child, you know, the, the wise men came to him and, and worshipped a baby and brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, those, those gifts they brought, gold speaks of deity, uh, frankincense uh, speaks of worship, myrrh speaks is a burial ointment. You know, these wise men understood who Jesus was. They weren't unbelievers. They, I believe they, of course, they came from the east, maybe Babylon or maybe uh, Persia. And, of course, Daniel had been taken captive to there. Daniel had the books of Jeremiah. He had access to the books of Jeremiah. And, of course, he had his own writings. And in the books of Jeremiah, there are prophecies concerning Christ. And in Daniel, it tells of what time he's to be born. Daniel 9.26 talks about, gives it a time frame when he's to be born. And, and, and so they had all these, pro- I believe they had all these prophecies, so they understood who Jesus was. He's not just the king of Israel, he's the savior. The one who would die for the sins of the world. Daniel tells us that, Daniel 9. So, so he's unique in his life. He's worshipped as a child, as a babe. He's worshipped throughout his life. Um, he, he did things that no other person has ever he healed the sick he raised the dead uh he had power over the elements uh the uh, several times they tried to kill him and he just walked through the crowd you know they uh, at, at nazareth when he went into the synagogue in luke chapter 4 and he stood up and to read and he read from isaiah chapter 61 verses 22 and then he said this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears he said there were many widows in israel in the days of elijah Elijah went to the widow at Zarephath. And they were offended at him. Why? Because God didn't see faith in Israel like he saw in the widow at Zarephath. And Jesus saying is, where's your faith? This scripture is fulfilled in your ears. I'm the fulfillment of it. And they, they took him out toward the hill headlong because they were going to throw him down headlong and he just passed by through their midst. You know, even to this day, he's violently hated or violently loved. People will give their lives for him. 
Many have died because they refuse to deny their faith in Christ. And others hate him so bad that they will kill people who won't deny him or confess him. The Pharisees in John chapter 7 sent the temple police to arrest him. And the police come back without him. And they said, why haven't you brought him? They said, never a man spake like this man. Never a man spake like this man. So he was unique in his life. Uh, one writer said, and I tried to find out where I got this, because I was going to print it out and give you each a copy of it. it. says, there's never been another like the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was God-man. Have you ever thought how unique the life of Lord Jesus is? And how absolutely unique. And you know Jesus never withdrew or modified anything that he ever said. Now, there's even sometimes I have to modify what I say from the pulpit. You know, many things he said were hard to understand, but he never said, oops, I made a mistake. I'd like to restate that. Jesus never, ever apologized for any of his actions. Many things he did, they didn't understand. Some people got angry with him, but he never one time apologized. Jesus Christ never sought advice from anybody. Moses had his 70 elders. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, had his advisors. Jesus never asked advice from anyone. Jesus Christ never justified anything that he did. When he was late, or seemingly late, when Lazarus died, he never gave any explanation. When he was asleep on the back of a ship, when the ship was about to sink, he never did justify his actions to anybody. Jesus Christ never asked forgiveness. Not one time. Did he ever ask for anybody ever to forgive him or for God ever to forgive him? Why? Because he was sinless. Jesus Christ never asked anyone to pray for him. He asked the disciples to watch and pray, and he told them to pray, lest ye enter into temptation. But he never asked anyone, uh, he never asked anyone to forgive him. He never corrected himself, and yet he was not arrogant. He was meek and mild. Jesus Christ did not have any strong points. Because to have strong points, you have to have weak points. He had no strong points, no weak points. He was the most perfectly balanced individual who ever lived. Robert Clark has rightly given this assessment of Jesus' character. He says, quote, There was meekness without weakness, tenderness without feebleness, Firmness without coarseness, love without sentimentality, holiness without sanctimoniousness, lowliness without lowness, truth without error, enthusiasm without fanaticism, passion without prejudice, heavenly mindedness without forgetfulness, carefreeness without carelessness, service without servility, self exaltation without egotism. Judgment without harshness, seriousness without somberness, and mercy without softness, unquote. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. No strong points, no weak points. God of very God, and yet God in human flesh. There's never been another like him, and there never will be. He's unique in his life. Thirdly, he is unique in his death. As we mentioned this morning in John 10, 
He said, therefore, doth my father love me, John 10, 17, 18, because I laid in my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. You know, as he's dying, he says to one that was crucified with him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. As he's dying, he says to those who have crucified him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he's dying, there's an earthquake. Graves are opened. And men come out of graves and walk into the city. As, he's, you know, as he gives up the ghost, the veil in the temple that is four or five inches thick, they tell us, is rent from top to bottom. Not bottom to top. Which things usually rip from bottom to top. It was rent from top to bottom. And as he's dying, one of those rugged Roman centurions said, Truly this was the Son of God. Truly this was the Son of God. See, he's unique in his death. He's also unique in his resurrection. You know, the resurrection, of course, is what sets him apart from all others. He was buried three days. His resurrection was announced by an angel. He was seen after his resurrection for 40 days, and at one point of over 500 people at once that could give testimony to his resurrection. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke says, he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. That word infallible means it's not liable to error. You know, they say that every word is established by two or three witnesses. He had 500, over 500. It is one of the most well-established facts of history, his resurrection. can't be denied. There are many proofs of that resurrection. He's also unique in his relationship to us. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, The Bible says, in verse 5 and 6, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Or the word beloved there means like in the beloved one, in him. So, the Bible says that we've been adopted, we're adopted children, uh, into the family of God, into the family of God. It's a family relationship. You know, in John 15, you know, there's, there seems to be a progression. I've, I've, I've uh, considered this quite often with his disciples. In John chapter 15, in John 15, when he's speaking to them before he's crucified, in verses 13 through 15, he calls them friends. In verse 13, John 15, 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for a servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. So they weren't just servants, and we are not just servants. We're friends. But actually, we're more than that. Because if you go to John chapter 20, after his resurrection, when he appears to, I believe it's Mary, in John 20 verse 17, yes, it's Mary, it says, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I have not ascended my Father, but go to my brethren. Go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto, notice this, unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. You see, His resurrection brings us into a family relationship with Him and the Father. It's a unique resurrection. It's a unique relationship with, that we have. You know, most religions, you have to kind of earn your way up in the ranks. But the minute a person is born again, they are brought into a family relationship with God, the Father. It's unique. He calls us brethren. Of course, the Bible tells us that he is the firstborn among many brethren. That means he's the head. Now, there are some out there that teach that he is not the only begotten Son of God. I remember watching an interview of Paula White and this Larry Hutch. I think he's from Texas. And, and he said to her, Jesus is not the only begotten Son of God. And she's there saying, yeah, no, 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 no. We are all the sons of God. Now, there's some truth to that and there's a bunch of lies. There's a great big lie in that too. As Brother Hoyle said this morning, there's always some truth in compromise. We are, if we're born again, we are the sons of God. But we are not the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is unique. He is not on equal footing with us. Yet He calls us brethren. So in, he is, he is like an elder. You know, think of him now, and, and it's hard for us to understand this. But if you were a Jew, you would understand it because the eldest brother, the oldest brother, the oldest son in the family would would be the one that got got the 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 birthright and with it the spiritual headship of the family. That's who Jesus is. He's the elder brother. He's the head of the family, the spiritual head. He has authority that you and I don't have. He's our head. And yet, he calls us brethren. We are in the family. It's a unique privilege that we have. You know, 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath betoned upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Behold, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so John says, we are now the sons of God. We're in this family relationship with him. 
in the Heavenly Father. But I want you to notice something or think about something else. What we have or who he is is unique in that this is based on observable evidence. In Acts chapter 1 verse 3, Luke writing to Theophilus, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he makes this statement, I mentioned it earlier, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen. Okay, so he's observed. He was observed. Being seen of them 40 days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You see, what we, what we have in Christ is based on observable or provable facts and acts. So you know what that means? It passed scientific examination. You know, the reason we believe in creation is because it's based on observable facts. That's what science, that's really the meaning of science. It's something that's based on observable facts. The reason we reject evolution is because it's can't, it's not based on observable facts. You know, it's like the guy I was talking to, you know, probably a year ago, and he was talking about, of course, he believed in evolution. And he got to talking about mutations. And I said, okay, so give me an example of mutation. He said, well, this fly that mutated. I said, okay, what is it now? Oh, well, it's a fly. Okay, so it's still a fly. So that's not really a mutation. It just changed its form a little bit. You know, it's like, you know, you can take, Brother Welch could take one of his dogs and cross it with a different kind of dog, and he'd have a different kind of dog. But it's still a dog. It hasn't changed from one species to another. Like they say, you know, evolution, you know, we've changed from monkeys to apes to man or whatever. Or, you know, no. You know, that's what they're trying to say. It's, uh, but there's no evidence of that. No observable evidence. But what we find with the Bible and the life of Christ is it's based on observable evidence. Another article here talking about the uniqueness of Christianity says, Alone of all the beliefs of mankind, be they religious or political or philosophical, Christianity, including its Old Testament foundation, is based upon historical acts and facts. Other religions are centered in the ethical and religious teachings of their founders. But Christianity is built on the events of creation and redemption. The Muslim faith is based upon the teaching of Muhammad. Buddhism is based upon the teachings of Buddha. Confucianism on the teachings of Confucius. Marxism on the teachings of Marx. And evolution on the teaching of Darwin. Not one of these is based on observation of historical data or facts but on the teachings and theories of men. Remember, evolution is, a based, is based on theory, not observable data. Catholic Church is based on the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Mormonism, Joseph Smith. You know, 
Mormonism is based on the teachings of Joseph Smith, who got this, had this nightmare, I think it was, from, a, from the angel Morani, but there's no observable proof that that actually happened. It's just, he said. That's all there is. There are no witnesses. We have many witnesses to the life of Christ. And many who, prior to His coming, prophesied of what would take place that did take place. There, you know, what we see in creation now points to the fact that, that what the Bible says about how we got here is true. You know, I think I've, I've said this before, that you know, St. Helens erupted, was it in the 90, 80s or 90s? I can't remember when it happened. But... But, you know, what happened there at Mount St. Helens was a little Grand Canyon formed within a week. And yet they say our Grand Canyon took billions and billions of years. No, it didn't. It happened very quickly. Probably in 150 days. The flood. You see... So, so creation, the belief in creation is based on what we see happening today. Again, you know, they say there's mutation there, but there is none. There's none. They can't prove that. Again, Christianity, however, is founded not on what Jesus taught, and this distinction is vital grass, but on who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished. Now, as Christians, we stand firmly on what he taught. But no one ever spoke and taught like Jesus. But ultimately, the value of what he said was dependent upon who he was and what he did and the abundant historical evidence that authenticated his life and words. You know, there's a lot of Catholic teaching that is inconsistent. For example, they say, Catholic teaching says, I studied Catholicism, that everybody goes to purgatory. But yet, they will tell you, if you can purchase enough, um, I'm trying to remember what they're, they're called, but it's, it, that will give you a, a, absolution. You escape it. Frank, Frank Sinatra, I was told, by somebody who studied Catholicism, gave a million dollars to buy his absolution from purgatory. Frank Sinatra was, was a Catholic, in case you didn't know. Uh, there's a lot of men that are. But, but, you know, so people purchase these things, and then they say that they, they'll, and of course, Catholics will tell you that if you have a, 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 re- a relative or a family member die, that you need to pay so many masses and, 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 and so on, do the masses so often, and pay, of course, to, to pray your loved one out of purgatory. Uh, you know, there's just it's just full of inconsistencies. I remember going to a Catholic funeral one time, and 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 honestly, I you know, as I sat there and listened to this priest do his foolishness, he put that lady into heaven, quote unquote, about four different ways. He sprinkled holy water on her. She was baptized. She had done this, and she had received the sacraments. Okay, so which one really is the way? See, it's all based on teachings of man. 
Not on a person. Not on a person. Uh, For example, look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. And Jesus spoke of this during his earthly ministry of the, the, the witnesses that he had to what he said and who he was was true. So it wasn't just what he said. John chapter 5, verse uh, uh, 33. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I received not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. So, okay, he's saying, okay, I have the witness of John the Baptist. You know, he, he, was, he, he started out here saying, you know, I, I bear witness to myself, but there are others that bear witness of me as well. Uh, and, and, of course, one of them is John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Point to Jesus. Okay, he is the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He's the Lamb that Abraham spoke about. He's the Passover Lamb that Moses taught us up. He's the fulfillment of that. This is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And he says, John bore witness of me. Verse 36, but I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So everything that he said and what he did proved who he was. I mean, who can forgive sins but God? And he said, Doth not the power, the Son of Man hath power to forgive sins? He raised the dead. Who can give life? God. You know, he said, I am. And the fact that he raised that widow's son from the dead proved that he was, is the I am. The works that I do bear witness of me. See, he didn't just based on his teachings. There's evidence. There's real hard evidence that he is who he said he was. Verse 37. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. You know, three times. We know in the Bible, the Bible records for us that three times we heard a vo- they heard a voice from the heaven saying, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Hear ye him. And then, of course, verse 39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, you go through the Old Testament scriptures, starting at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. says, and I will put image between, between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, but thou shalt bruise his heel. In other words, the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of Satan. It's a prophecy concerning Christ, who would deal a death blow to the power of Satan and break his power that he has over mankind, the power of death. Hebrews 2 tells us that we were subject to death, and Christ came to deliver us from that. 
So, you know, that's a prophecy concerning Christ. And then you come to Abraham, and, and, and Abraham talks about it. God himself will provide a lamb. Genesis chapter 22. And, of course, the Passover lamb. And, and throughout the Old Testament, those, many of those types refer particularly to Jesus Christ. He fulfills those scriptures. Isaiah 9-7, Isaiah 9-6, all speak of him. See, the scriptures testify of him. This article goes on and says, This gives, gave the teachings of Christ authority and placed them alone in a category of absolute truth. The truthfulness of Jesus and his teachings stand on the validity of historical records which are subject to investigation and examination. You know, many have examined Josh McDowell going to school to be a lawyer, thought Christianity was a joke, until a young lady in college with him challenged him to prove Jesus Christ a fraud. And he set out to prove it. But what he proved was that everything that is written about Jesus Christ is true and can be backed up with evidence. And then he wrote, evidence that demands a verdict and more than a carpenter that shows without a doubt the, the evidence that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. You know, all their beliefs are based on teachings of ideas of those who were nothing more than mere men. Muhammad was simply a man. Buddha, Confucianism, it's all based on man. No matter how brilliant, charismatic, or powerful they be, there's no guarantee of their objectivity, accuracy, or ultimate ability to deliver what they promise. You know, the uniqueness of Christianity, you know, depends upon the uniqueness of its central figure, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there is another evidence of the uniqueness of Christianity as the outgrowth of the life and death of the resurrection of Christ. It is the awesome impact of Christ on mankind and history. A uh, few of the things that one writer said about the impact of Christ. Hospitals, universities, began, you know, these began during the Middle Ages. In addition, most of the world's greatest universities were started by Christians for, the, for Christian purposes. Harvard, Yale, all those were Bible schools in, when they were started. They're not today, but they were then. Literacy and education of the masses, capitalism, free enterprise. It's based on Bible truth. Um, but the one, one that really stood out to me was the codifying and setting to writing of many languages of the world. Do you realize that most of that is done by Christians? When, when Anna and Judson went to Burma, they had, no, they had no written language. Can you imagine living in a society or in a nation that didn't have a written language? He put together an alphabet and he wrote the first Burmese dictionary. He established a language which brought, about, which brought of course, a civilizing of the, of the nation. Uh, of course, countless changed lives transformed from liabilities into assets to society because of the gospel. So, you know, we have, and, and I don't really like this term, but we have a quote-unquote religion 
based on historical facts and evidence that can be proven that support the claims that Jesus Christ made concerning himself. Again, as Luke said, there are many infallible proofs. You know, we have something in Christ that is distinctly different than any other religion in the world. You know, we have something that is real, that can be proven with evidence that we can rest assured that what we believe is true and what God has said in his word because of what's already been done what else he said in his word will most surely come to pass you know, we can have hope. That word hope means expectation. We can have an expectation that one of these days the Lord's going to return for us. And that expectation is based upon the facts and evidence we've already seen and that's already been proven about the person and work of our unique Lord and Savior. I don't know about you, but that is very assuring. It gives me confidence. Because we have a more sure word of prophecy that we need to take heed to. We ought never take, take for granted the uniqueness that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ.